everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of the Retrospectors podcast, Bad Mojo. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, would you like me to tell you a little bit about Bad Mojo and why I chose this? Had you ever heard of this game before? Uh, absolutely not, although I'm kind of surprised I hadn't, because it's not exactly a forgettable game. <laughs> It is a very weird one, though, and um, unlike most weeks where there's some kind of nostalgic connection or a user has suggested a game to us, this one was entirely based off my own research. I was sprawling, uh, I was browsing through the internet looking for, I guess, unique and interesting games of the 90s, specifically PC games. I don't know, I was kind of in the mood for something like that, and out of the blue, for 1996, I saw this weird-ass game called Bad Mojo. And the whole premise of this game and the reason that caught my attention is that you play as a cockroach. That's right, not as a human being, not as a tank, not as a plane, as a cockroach. And I think that recently in particular, we've had a lot of discussions about player vulnerability, and I was thinking, what could be more vulnerable than being a cockroach? And what could be less marketable than being playing as a cockroach either? Yeah, that I, is true. It's not exactly a power fantasy. I struggle to see a game like this coming out in the modern era. Like, it is such a hard sell to make your, uh, like, make your protagonist so revolting to look at the whole runtime of the game yeah it's not just you that's revolting it's the uh entire deliberate aesthetic of this game i i do think something that is kind of appealing about this and it took a while for this to click to me is just being a small thing in a in a like in a regular environment um katamari damacy is the other game where we've kind of done where the earlier levels are similar to this but one of my favorite puzzle games of the modern era, Superland, does exactly the same thing. Um, and there's something about this idea that just I find like appealing on some deep level of being a small thing in a big environment. Did you ever play the Toy Story PS1 game? I did not, like, but is it the same kind of idea? It's basically that. You're just a toy in the house and everything's massive and hard to traverse. And there's something really enjoyable about it because the level structure is so, you know, obviously real um it just kind of like you know like it does the world building and it satisfies the gameplay and the level design at the same time and it's really fun seeing the devs like make interesting levels out of really mundane things yeah there was also a counter-strike 1.6 custom map called d rats which was the exact same thing where the level was massive and it was just a bedroom <laughs> pikmin pikmin yeah pikmin's another good example so it's obviously a pretty pretty common one um it's not exactly that part of the game isn't unique but it's still interesting and it just any game that's set in this setting i think is quite cool so uh, for those who've never listened to us before, uh, we are the Retrospectors podcast. What we do each and every three weeks is we play through a retro game that's at least 15 years old with the intention of discovering if it's truly stood the test of time. We're not here to understand these games in the context in which they're produced or appreciate and reflect upon the things that this game laid the groundwork for. We simply want to know how enjoyable is this game to play when evaluated side by side with any other game that gets released. Um, we admit this is a harsh standard of criticism, but we also think that it's the best way to see which games have done something unique and interesting and artistic that has ma makes them worth playing um, above and beyond their historical value. So this, over the past three weeks, we played Bad Mojo. More specifically, we played Bad Mojo Redux. 
The first game was originally released in 1996, developed by Pulse Entertainment. So we played the 2004 re-release, Redux, which basically gets the game up and running for modern systems and also has a HD upscaling of the FMV sequences and is true color instead of 256 color. It's the same game in every other respect. It's just that the original, I mean, getting that running on a Windows machine today would be basically impossible. Um, there was some weird jankiness to this release, though. Um, James, you, you had something to say about the menus, right? Yeah, so it's a bit odd. Like, when you save the game, it brings up, like, a Windows file browser to make a little file in, like, an arbitrary folder. Uh, it, it, look, it feels a bit, like, bootleg, honestly. Even the main menu, like, the controls, the settings menu, it pops up, like like a Windows 98 gray box with some really, you know, visual basic tier radio buttons. It's not like anything has been modernized whatsoever. I think you were saying maybe it's the Redux that makes it like this way, but... Possibly. It, it... I mean, I, I think that I think that when we think of remakes today, we think of stuff like the Resident 4 Evil remake, like remakes that professionally make the game... Um, as user-friendly as possible. This isn't quite that kind of tier of remake. It's more that they put it together to get it running and they kind of cut corners on making it the most possible user-friendly experience it's, it's, possible. Yeah, well, they at least like um, put the effort in where it counts. Like when you're actually playing the game, you just can't notice any corners being cut whatsoever. Um, there's the only like major technical flaw that caused me actual inconvenience is that it seems like sometimes when you save the game or go to the main menu, um, when you load back into the game, sometimes it moves your character's position on the screen quite significantly. Uh, even changing screens, and this, in one particular instance, um, there was a section where I needed to solve a very small puzzle in order to cross a gap to get to the next area. So you like you need to push something onto some liquid to make a bridge. Um, I closed the menu to save, and then when I opened the menu, my character was on the other side of the bridge, but the bridge hadn't been pushed over the water. So I like didn't think too much of it at the time. So I played for another like twenty minutes, and then once I came back and had to go back over the bridge, I realized, you know, I hadn't pushed the bridge, so I'm, like, stuck, and I had to reload a save and do that whole section again. So, yeah, be aware of that. The game's menu is very janky, and it actually does can lead you to, like, positions where if you're not constantly saving, your game might break, so... Yeah, you can you can soft lock. I had a bit where I was soft locking inside a spider web, which you can't move in at all in this game. Uh, luckily, I have learned my lesson, and I had eight rolling saves, so any mistakes were not were not. Yeah, save often for this one. Make separate. Yeah, and rolling saves, saves yeah. is the critical thing. Yeah, and that's something that I've been doing for probably at least the last sixty to seventy episodes now, just because I know the dangers of only having. Yeah, a single every save single save I had was a different file. I had like. 30 saves by the end of the game hmm. or something just do that yeah but but for the most part the game does work i think that there are some control issues which we'll get into later but i think that falls under the gameplay umbrella rather than being a bug yep. um, Ooh, a bug uh, just like you're a bug yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> this, this is going to be nearly as bad as uh as the uh 
you know, being under enormous pressure when we're talking about Dark City. Wow, I can't Steam. believe we finally played a game more buggy than Prince of Persia Warrior Within. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into a basic setup for this game, and then we're going to launch into our first topic. So the basic setup of this game, which is told through a truly incredible monologue by the opening character as it zooms in on his apartment, is you're playing as a guy called Roger Sams, who has robbed or otherwise is money laundered money off his company through trickery or otherwise, and he has a million dollars in a briefcase, he's ready to leave for Mexico. Right as he's about to leave, though, he grabs his mother's locket, which he nearly forgot, the mother's his mother's locket opens up, says some random gibberish, and he gets transformed into a cockroach, make, making him have to navigate his way through his gross apartment and gross uh, tenancy with as as a cockroach instead of as a human being. Uh, I think the implicit goal of the game when you first start like this is to turn back into a human, but you're not really given a clear path on how you're going to achieve it. You just kind of get this mystic nonsense spat at you and you kind of have to do things related to the mystic nonsense in order to progress through the game. But those individual things you're doing don't really, they're not really rooted in really realizing your end goal, even right towards the end of the game. You're just kind of doing things in order to get through the video game. Did you kind of get an idea? Did you feel the same way about this broad goal, James, that it was just like doing things? Yeah, I think it does like near the end of the game or at the very end of the game actually come together to feel very cohesive. Like yes. you, it feels a bit like you're linearly progressing through a series of rooms, like with no real clear goal. But in the end, like everything that you've done kind of comes together and you can actually go back and explore previous areas to fix up things that you've missed. And the game is like constantly nudging you towards the true ending uh, via like hints of various kinds. Um, so yes, at the start, I think it's a bit of a fever dream. And honestly, the entire game is a bit of a fever dream. <laughs> but by the end, it does actually feel weirdly cohesive, I think, but it won't feel that way until the very end. Yeah, so you start off your cockroach, you're trying to get through things, and we'll get more into the weeds of the story later. But where I want to start, James, is aesthetics. What this game looks and feels like. Yeah, there is no other place to start, because like, I think that 90% of this game's even the gameplay like is kind of predicated on the visuals and the way that the world is depicted. Um, so I kind of wanted to first hop back maybe to the intro cutscene. Um, cause mm -hmm. one of the, this game kind of goes for this like photorealistic art style, um, with these really, really detailed backgrounds and, you know, environments that you're traversing. Like, and I mean, incredibly detailed. I was like quite shocked by just how much like detail was in like the grain of wood of the you know bench that you're crawling over so so this is because it was scanned in right or they were there there were photos that they took how did they how did they achieve this this look? 3d scanning is i believe where the majority of this came from i believe like a lot of the animal corpses that you find around the place are also 3d scanned in and i completely believe that i think like it's it's hard to find like modern games that have environments this detailed and realistic looking so that's really like the only plausible explanation that i can give it um 
and there's like often these trends because the the, the cutscenes in this game are actually live action fmvs and there are these like transitions between like in-game in-engine like footage and the live action cutscenes that are basically seamless um you know there might be a little ripple effect or something like that to hide the exact instant where it happens but like when you're immersed in it you can sometimes not you know fully tell once it's switching over which i thought was really cool but um to go back to the actual like intro to the game uh this game is given in live action fmv and it is fucking campy as hell and i'm like a hundred percent there for it it's wonderful <laughs> It's so bad. It's but it it's falls so into bad, the so it's bad. So it's good, good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like incredibly entertaining. It it is this weird thing where the game is kind of going for this semi horror atmosphere, and these cutscenes dramatically undermine <laughs> any attempt at setting up the atmosphere. But they're still entertaining in their own right. I don't know if horror. It's not like scary. It's, not it's like yeah. it tries to make you like squeamish and uncomfortable. But but when you think of like Silent Hill Two is the example I would come up with. That's a game that I think uses uses a lot of grossness yeah. in its um in its depiction of the world. Like it's a grimy, awful world, and I think that that griminess and disgustingness can be part of a horror experience. And I do think that on the face of it, this idea of being a cockroach, you know, being incredibly vulnerable cool. in the world, could be considered scary. So while it doesn't succeed as a scary game, I don't think it would have been impossible to achieve with some maybe slightly better acting yeah. in these FMV sequences. I kind of think that it works in the game's favor. Like I enjoyed the game more because of the campiness and the like stark contrast it was making from the like frankly revolting like environments that you're traversing much of the time um i kind of to, to expand on this a bit i had my notes a bit later but i think this is a good point to bring it in i do think that you're right that it does produce a unique kind of atmosphere with the campiness contrasted with the grossness of the world but as i was playing i was thinking that they could have leaned a lot more into the i guess alienness alienness of the situation an example of that would be there's these hint things around the world, and we'll talk about the gameplay ramifications of that later, but you get a bit where like an animal will come up and kind of psychically link with you and give you uh, this weird prophetic uh, indication of what to do in order to progress. And as that's happening, the lady prophet will be reciting like a poetic verse over the top. And as I was in these hint things, I was like, they could have made these so much freakier. They could have made these so much scarier and alien and weird. But instead, they're kind of normalized by the person speaking over the top and rhyming verse. And I think that they made that decision aesthetically a fair few times throughout the game to lean more into the campiness instead of leaning into the true terrifying weirdness of the situation yeah and i think that's fair like i think you need to have like um how do i put this like the creepiness and the revoltingness like really the pressure is on during the gameplay and the cutscenes kind of give you this like reprise from that yeah i think yeah. that like ebb and flow is pretty important to have when you're doing this kind of thing and i think I'm glad that they used the cutscenes as the release valve and left like basically all of the gameplay as 
when the psychological pressure is on. I think that made for a better game. Yeah, I wouldn't say it would made for a better game, but I would also agree that it doesn't make for a worse game. It just means that a lot of the there's not as much tension in this game as there could be. For some people, that's going to be a good thing. For some, it's going to be bad. It just depends on the kind of experience you're after. Mm. But I never really got the feeling that, you know, when we did Gabriel Knight, which has, you know, all of the voodoo stuff. Yeah. The voodoo stuff in that game had this sinister undertone to it that I think was much scarier than the voodoo or stuff in this game. And I, I think that they could have gone scarier if they wanted to. Yeah. The the story that the, like, the conclusion that the story was leading up to, I mean, and that's an intentional decision too, wasn't, um, like, as ominous as what Gabriel Knight was leading up to, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they could have made it something different. Um, but I think they had a fairly clear idea. Uh, they wanted this kind of, like, I guess, wholesome ending for such an unwholesome <laughs> game. <laughs> wholesome family ending. Yeah. Okay, um, next thing, so we've we've talked a little bit about how, uh, sorry, James, you mentioned something about that opening cutscene and I, I distracted us away from it. Did you have something to say about it? I just wanted to at least mention that there's this initial camera pan that like starts on this city bridge that goes all the way over the bridge and into the protagonist's bedroom and the transition between outside and inside is like actually seamless. It was really well done. I feel like they put so much effort into all the cutscenes and the visuals, even though, you know, they're campy as hell and it's got this real, like, B-movie vibe to it, but you can tell that they were really trying, um, like, the whole absolutely. way through. Absolutely, the, the direction here is flawless. I think yeah, that's the key absolutely. thing. absolutely. And I think that carries on to the actual gameplay as well. And in many ways, to me, this is the... This is the genius of the game, and it's in its restrictive uh, camera angles. So for the most part, this game is top-down in the sense that you're always relative looking at the cockroach from an above angle. And that as the cockroach, you can be on walls as well as the floor, but you're always staring at the cockroach from above. And your camera and screen is very limited. So you might see the equivalent of, I guess, maybe... 20 by 20 centimeters at a time, maybe a little bit more than that. Maybe it's more like 30 by 30 centimeters, but you only see a fraction of the larger objects that you're traversing over at a time. So if you crawl onto a desk, you might need to transition between eight and 12 screens to travel across the entire desk. So not only does this give you a lot more detail of the environments you're traveling over i think it does a lot to immerse you in the perspective of the cockroach and although you're not seeing out of the cockroach's eyes you're still seeing like a much more limited view of the environment than you would as a human being and i think that if they'd given you the freedom to freely scroll wherever you wanted to go and it was more of a point and click kind of game where you can move the camera around and click wherever you want as opposed to a screen transitioning game with tank controls, that the game would be far worse for it. It would be far less immersive, and I think that the graphics would be far less impactful as they kind of hit you like a sledgehammer as you transition from screen to screen. Yeah, I also think that this art style they've gone through with the like 3D scanning and like rotoscoping kind of thing works a lot better with these fixed perspectives. Um, it's mm. a lot easier. Like you can stitch like the images together, but it is a lot like 
technically more straightforward in order just to have these fixed camera angles. What I think this game does like incredibly well is that it really manages to capture the spatial awareness of where you are and like track that really well because you're not just mm -hmm. like crawling on top of the desk but you can also like crawl down the side of the desk and underneath the desk on the bottom like you could if you were a cockroach. To add on to that, if there's like a bookcase on the desk, you can also go inside the bookcase. So not only are you going over and under and around objects, you're going inside objects on top of those objects. Yeah, like if there's a tissue box, like you can crawl into the little gap and go inside the tissue box. Like there are these tiny little cracks like in the woodwork that you can crawl into and there's actually like heaps of stuff behind there um, and the game generally lets you know that these things are there because there's other insects in the environment that will like you'll enter a new screen and you'll see a cockroach crawl into this little gap where you would never have thought for there to be an entrance but there is and now that you know it you can follow it and you can go in there and it can go for a while like there's this section where you can crawl into like a medicine cabinet in a bathroom and it just keeps going and going and you get to the top and there's this little like hole to slip in and then you're behind inside the woodwork mm. it's crazy like how much detail and how like logically everything connects together and you can kind of in your head because you're in a realistic environment you can like put together what the bathroom looks like from you know, all of these different screens that you've transversed through. It's really well done. Um, it's definitely, like, the best part of the game, in my opinion, is how well this is done. There's even stuff like sometimes you'll start crawling over something and you won't know exactly what it is you're doing. I was crawling across this, uh, it's like a tube, and it was curving round. And then all of a sudden I got to the end of the tube and transitioned onto something going down. And I'm like, oh, I'm inside the shower. And that thing that I just was crawling over was the rail that holds the shower curtain. And all of a sudden, it made sense in my head how that 3D space fit. James, a very, very long time ago, we talked about, um, in episode two, we talked about Banjo-Kazooie and how landmarks can, um, yes. <laughs> can help orientate you and stop you getting lost. Uh, I think that this game, with all of its unique artistry from screen to screen, is the perfect example of how uh, unique geographical objects can help orientate you. Yeah. When, you're, when, when you've traveled over an area and you know that you recognize that, you know, that open box of matches, you can track that in your head that there's an open box of matches there. And this game's with all of its unique artistic shots, 4 by 4 without a scrolling screen, help you track where everything is in relation to everything else, even if when you first get to an area, it can be pretty disorientating. I feel like I want to talk about how the zoomed-in perspective of the environment really, like, these environments are, like, kind of gross, and some of them are really gross, right? Like, you're in mm -hmm. a kitchen and it's pretty dirty, but, like, it's quite dirty, but it's not, like, insanely, like, exaggeratedly dirty but because yep. you're so zoomed in, even some kind of dirty things just seem like a hundred times more disgusting because of how close to them you are. Yeah, it's not like the kitchen in Resident Evil 7. You know when you go to the Resident Evil 7 yeah. house and it's just like it's, just black goo and shit everywhere? It's it's not like that. It's just it's that like, because it's, it's so messy. zoomed in on all the stains and everything, 
it makes me not want to take photos of my kitchen close up yeah. in the fear that they might somewhat resemble these. Uh, it makes me want to go clean my kitchen bench. <laughs> yeah, although to be fair, there are some genuinely like nasty images in this one. Like one mm -hmm. of the the big one for me is like I think there was I think I was reading an interview and they got this like rat catcher to bring them a dead rat and then they just like stuffed it with razor blades and then 3D scanned it. Like that's a scene in this game as you knock razor blades into a rat and then one of the rooms is just like you know, this fucked up gory rat on the ground. Um, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of shit like that in this game, which is like not, you know, it's it's pretty, it makes me pretty squeamish, but um, it's not like the majority of the game, I don't think. Well, I don't know. I got just as squeamish at the chili con carne bit. Oh, that was, that was that, gross. That was gross. Yeah. <laughs> I love chili con carne, but that made me never want to eat it again. Yeah, or the, the, the yeah. fish right next to her, like, barely breathing and gasping for air on the counter. That was like, oh. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I find that the look and feel of this game, exploring it from the perspective of a cockroach, is, as you said, it's far and away its most impressive feature. And it's almost worth the price of admission alone. Like, it's just a incredible world to be immersed in. And everything they do is so laser focused on making you feel like a powerless little cockroach. They really like put the effort into research. I looked at like in the credits and the effort they put into like, there's just this list of experts on insect biology that they spoke to. And like, they really animated your character's movement. Like I had a friend walk into my room while I was playing this game. And within like a minute, he's like, I can't watch this anymore. It's too, un <laughs> it makes me too uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, it, it just uh. looks like a cockroach walking around some realistic environments. Like it's really hard to argue with that. I really like the bit where you go inside. There's a big swordfish hanging on the wall. And you go inside the swordfish and see the wooden board that the swordfish is is hanging on. And there's like termites that oh, ma maggots so have made the home in the wood. And you kind of can see them as you're crawling through this termite hole. I mean, it's just oh. it's just wonderful, wonderfully disgusting in every single way. I I think this game absolutely achieves what it's trying to do aesthetically. It's in in some ways, it's one of the top five games aesthetically that we've done i think games it's, like i think that obviously it's not beautiful but it is it is uh it's gorgeous it looks amazing <laughs> it, yeah it looks it looks amazing like it, it for a game that came out in 1996 it blows my mind just how good this game looks and it absolutely holds up do you think the fixed camera in this game looks better than in resident evil 1 because we were high on that game but i think this game might look better <laughs> Uh, so the reason I would specifically, if we're talking about camera angles, I think the thing that edges Resident Evil 1 above it is that Resident Evil 1 has varied camera angles at different heights and perspectives. Does this um, game not? It, it does have the occasional interesting shot, but for the most part, you are kind of hovering the same distance from the cockroach from a perspective above it. Resident Evil, as you walk through a room, you kind of get exposed to five different unique interesting camera angles and i think that resident evil even uses it in its gameplay like that one famous thing where you walk through the door and the spider crawls down behind you yeah fucking terrifying i don't think this game does anything as creative with its camera angles i do think that this game 
with its I guess restricted focus in general creates a more immersive kind of experience than Resident Evil does mm. but I'll take Resident Evil's artistic and varied direction over this one in a head-to-head that game is like an actual horror game and it makes me less uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> except for that, that one bit that with, Even with that... the spiders yeah i played that whole yeah. section like not looking at the screen <laughs> <laughs> um i think that this might be a good time to go to the music james did you want to start off yeah sure so the music's quite atmospheric and i think one thing that i've come to realize about atmospheric soundtracks is that they are inherently less memorable on their own but they tend to make the games themselves more memorable like there's lots of games with memorable soundtracks where you just remember the music i won't remember the soundtrack of this game in a few months but i will certainly remember the game and it's not just because it's a game about a cockroach um i think the game's soundtrack does a great job of like trying to enforce all of the like the different types of atmosphere that's going on from the creepiness in the gameplay to the, you know, pants on head campiness during the cutscenes. Um, I thought it was really well done. There's no track here in particular that I'm particularly fond of, but I will like single out the bit that plays during the moth ride as I thought that that whole scene um, in its entirety was really cool. Um, so I think one of the keys here and one of the reasons that it's less memorable is I don't think this music has much melody to it. When I think of a game that's very different to the soundtrack that's still great, I think of Yes, Oath of Helgana. How do you say it? Is it Yes? I, I can't even East. remember how to bring it. East, that's right. Which is a game that has basically a lot of power metal tracks. And that soundtrack is incredible because those songs are incredible. But it's not like those songs are reinforcing the atmosphere of the game or that that game has a particularly compelling atmosphere what it's hype as fuck <laughs> it is hype yeah i i guess i guess it's it's a it's trying to achieve a different kind of thing yeah um i describe the music here as uh reverb heavy uh synthy bassy i think the key word i'd use here is discordant this yeah. is a discordant soundtrack it's very it's uncomfortable and disquieting uncomfortable yeah, and, yeah off key um and I think that it does a lot to help uh, round out all of those things we talked about aesthetics and creating this unsettling atmosphere. It's not a scary atmosphere. It just one, it's just one that makes you feel uncomfortable. Makes your skin um, crawl. Like... Yeah, as it should when you're, when you're playing a game with a cockroach. Um, I do think that there was one super memorable track, which we'll play later, which is one where you get inside the desk, which is filled with notes by your by your character who is also studying a way to kill cockroaches oh the irony and you see all of his notes and it's clear that the guy has a few screws loose and the music changes to something very unsettling to reflect his you know obvious descent into insanity which i thought was very cool it was very different from all the other music so i thought that one was memorable and that's one that will stick with me but in general, I agree with you, James. I think it's a great soundtrack, but one that will um, is best paired with the game than listened to by itself. And that bit with the like the madness scene where you're going over his notes, there's like this newspaper clipping of an eyeball, and like you walk over it, and then the eyeball comes to life and starts like spazzing out because there's a bug in it. It's so uncomfortable to watch. 
and I did it like five times until I couldn't do it <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so let's do the moth ride. I thought that section was awesome. Um, and, you know, just kind of a good representation of some of the best parts of the soundtrack. So here we go. We're back from our ride across the room on the back of the moth. How did you feel, Patrick? Um, loved it. Uh, and now I want to talk about story. Um, we've mentioned a little bit already, uh, but I want to go a bit more in depth with this, James, because I think that we touched on how the story's FMV sequences are so bad they're good. But that's in some ways, that's only half of the equation because this game is stuffed to the gills with environmental storytelling as well. And it's quite good. Yeah. So, so basically, as you're traveling around the, um, the apartment and everything, you're discovering details about both your landlord and your character, the player character, um, Roger Sams. So you learn about how uh, he was an entomologist who's trying to develop a super killer poison for cockroaches specifically. You learn about mm. uh, the landlord's uh, wife and um, her premature birth, which led to her dying. And all of this is told through newspaper clippings and bills and awards and all these li and letters, all these little bits and pieces that you as a cockroach half the time you can't even read the whole letter at once. So you kind of have to be moving back and forth through the screen to get the information. Yeah. And the um the newspaper clippings actually come to life and animate when you walk on them. Like the pictures come to life and talk mm. and like some of the narration gets read out to you. So they're actually pretty interactive for what could have otherwise just been, you know, them expecting you to sit there and read it. And I kind of really appreciated that. Like, in the bar, there's lots of story delivered to you via just photos that come mm -hmm. to life and play a little scene. And I think that, you know, the weird psychedelic, like, trippiness of the game, that really played into that, like, with your character, like, hallucinating these scenes or whatever the hell was going on. Um, and it also served to, you know, be a bit more interactive and engaging for the viewer than just sitting there, like, reading off a wall, which might be fine to do as mm -hmm. well, but I'm glad they went to the extra. I completely agree. Having both is better. They're complementary. It's not, yeah. and you're right that the psychedelic nature of it and the whole, um, you know, voodoo magic of it fits these things coming to life. I will say that what in, one, in many ways one of the emotional cruxes of the story towards the end when you get to a character's suitcase and you discover his you know his oh doll as a baby and everything so good ends up being less emotional and literally laugh out loud funny and i'm not even making that i laughed out loud during these scenes where basically he's uh your character has been um he he was he his parents he, gave him given up. up to an orphanage yep. yeah he was given up to an orphanage and um his there's a nun and she's talking about how his dad doesn't love him 
and he starts crying and then she starts cackling at him crying <laughs> not like she's not like laughing a little bit she's like cackling as hard as she, she can and the she, camera's zooming she's in like getting like... the energy from his tears and it's so funny it's just <laughs> she's like drinking yeah. it's so and good. then it immediately transitions to a bit where there's a bully making fun of him for liking cockroaches it's and smashes his glass exhibit and it's just it's so terrible you can tell that the people who made the game just got their kids in and they're just like yeah just like all right guys here's a scenario go for it well they had that like he was talking to the lawyer lady and it's not even like hidden at all that it's the same lady acting as the nun <laughs> like it's just so funny it's really funny and it's it is and it's all the more funny for the fact that it feels like so much care and effort has been put into i guess the artistic design and environmental storytelling and the writing of the letters and then you get to these fmv bits and it's like they've put zero dollars into it it's it's quite hilarious we have come so far with turning voice acting and in in gaming into like a very professional respected profession bring it <laughs> back i want the bring back the oh soul. my god it's it's i mean it like i said it does wrap around to being enjoyable so this isn't in some ways this isn't a negative it's just very it, it's very it's so funny in, in some ways you know we it. talk a lot on this show about aspects of video games where you don't really get to experience them again nowadays. And I think we mentioned this oh, when this we did Typing of, of the Dead. It's the same thing, right? This is the only real way to experience this kind of grade of voice acting. So I think overall it works in the game's favor for adding to the uniqueness of the experience. But you have to wonder what this game would be if it was unrelentingly bleak instead of, uh, instead of with these comedic breaks. I was watching this other review on the game after I'd finished it. Because I was curious to see what people thought about it. And one of the reviewers referred to the main character as like bootleg Jim Carrey. Perfect. And I just lost my shit. It's like the perfect, perfect. description. The way the way he <laughs> speaks in the opening monologue, he's like putting a sneer into every single word. Everything. It's not every single yeah. line. He's got like a, you know, 90 second monologue and you can feel the sneering. And it's just, it's just absurd. <laughs> uh. Um, so spoilers now, um, how did you feel more broadly about the linking of the landlord being the guy's father and him being his son and how it all tied together? Do you think this was well done or did you find the whole mystic woman a little too cheesy and on the nose? Um... I think I would have enjoyed it more if there was more misdirection. I think it's incredibly obvious what's going on like way before the end of the mm. game. And I think it would have been more fun if it was a bit less obvious. Um, I think I was fine with the direction and I was fine with the way the like the hints were presented. It was super obvious what the hint actually was, but the almost non-existent obfuscation with the like the poetry uh, kind of made it fit better like and you kind of you understood that from the character's perspective it was supposed to be maybe confusing but as a player like it is actually just helping you like to finish I, the game. I thought it was so, so obvious that it was a misdirect like I was like they can't be father and son that doesn't make any sense and then they just get <laughs> I'm like okay maybe this is just the story and that's all there is to it 
Yeah, I think it could have been more than that. Um, and I think the game would have been better if it was more than that. But like, I'm going to be honest. I don't really mind, honestly. I, I would have li- liked the game either. I way. just found it hard to get emotionally invested in these characters when I found the story so funny. I think that was my problem. I, it, it was just so ridiculous that I didn't really emotionally care about these characters or what they were going through. The acting was just too bad for me. I agree it all comes together and everything's linked together. And there's lots of like little details as well, like them losing their liquor license, for example, um, and how the business kind of fell into shambles once his wife died and so on and so forth. Like it all, it all ties together and it's cohesive. I just don't find it very compelling is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I think that's fine. It was enjoyable, I found. And I liked that there was multiple endings depending on how well you did, sort mm-hmm. of. Um, I found them... You know, pretty mostly pretty satisfying. I liked how the true ending just had them like cackling like maniacs at the end on the beach. As like, he continues to do research <laughs> on cockroaches, it's so good. That's just the guy's like lifelong changed. dream. All that shit happens yeah. to him and he's like, yep, I want to continue studying a pesticide for cockroaches. Fuck cockroaches. Or just like the bad ending where he's in the mental asylum and just like mental asylum just like screaming in the straight jacket. i mean after reading some of those notes maybe he deserves to be oh that's that's actually a very non-pc thing of me to say james he he deserves to receive mental help for his problems is what i mean to say uh i think he's a schizo if <laughs> he treated accordingly wow, <laughs> amazing um yeah so story wise it's um it's mixed but i think it ultimately ends up positive uh in spite of the fact that it's mixed or maybe because it is um you know james this is a video game should we spend some time talking about the gameplay of this game there's actually not a lot to it yeah what's Um, the control scheme like like, i i opened up the controls it's a pretty pretty complicated set of controls isn't it yeah so you have the arrow keys um you press space to bring up the menu that's that's the menu where you load and save, not the menu where you access your inventory. Inventory? Yeah, exactly. It's just the arrow keys. That's the entire it's way. The whole game, yeah, the arrow keys in the in the control setting, like you can't rebind the keys. There's just this like toggle between arrow keys and WASD. That's it. Yeah, so so I would describe the gameplay of this game being basically exploration and maybe light puzzle solving. I guess you'd call it like an act, an adventure exploration light puzzle kind of game, but it's mainly it's like if there's one step above Walking Sim, this is it, <laughs> basically like it's um it's mostly a linear game. So you would c- contrast it to something like a point and click adventure game where you have an inventory, there's different people to speak to, you move between different areas, and then you need to use things in the right combination to move the pu- the puzzle onwards to the next stage. This is not like this. There is usually <laughs> one thing to do. There might be two things to do, but you usually can't do thing two until you have completed thing one. And you mm. also get some detailed hints as to what it is you need to achieve on for every single puzzle in the game. Uh, yeah. So it's almost all laid out in front of you but you do need to do a bit of exploring to find all the relevant elements uh, because yep. you don't, because of the limited perspective, you can't see everything at once. So there is a bit of moving around and figuring out the different paths you can take. There are some like mini maze-like sections, I guess. There's a lot of pesticide and water and paint and chili con carne that as a flimsy cockroach, you can't cross. 
and slippering on the toilet bowl because you, know, <laughs> you can't grip it and that kind of thing. Yeah, so th there are dangerous areas you can't go. So it's a lot of... And cats, the cats. And cats that insta-kill you if you go too close to an area. Um, so usually what happens is you'll get to an area, you'll walk around and explore, kind of make a mental map of where everything is, eventually find a hint of what it is you need to do or just stumble it into it yourself anyway. And then you can progress through the game. And I think that with a reasonable amount of time, you shouldn't have any, most people shouldn't have any issues getting through this entire game without ever looking at a wall. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually really liked that they had that hint system where the bugs would kind of walk in the direction you need to go. It got mm -hmm. me out of, you know, a bit of confusion a couple of times. And I think it was quite necessary with how hard to see some of the holes are. But I actually think including those difficult to see entrances really added to the immersion of the game and that feeling of being an insect so mm -hmm. i think this is an absolutely brilliant decision by them to include this kind of hint because it really allows them to reap the benefits of those little nooks and crannies without completely dumpstering the gameplay and have you you know because if they didn't do this you know you could theoretically like wander around lost forever because you didn't try to go behind the tv or go into this mm -hmm. like millimeter sized hole on the desk you know um so that was really well done and we you mentioned that the gameplay is quite simple the control scheme is simple and it's funny i think some games this would have me you know bored to tears like i just wouldn't play it very far because there's nothing to do but the environments and the traversal and the like the storytelling in game is just so good that the thing remains engaging start to finish and it really doesn't need that kind of intense gameplay to keep you invested like the world design is just so good that you know i was happy to play start to finish just to see the next screen you know for like four hours and each area is so diverse like the kitchen bench is so different from the basement uh, the basement, which is littered with dead animals. <laughs> and then you go to the kitchen bench and it's all food, disgusting food. Like, it's not like it's repeating on a theme. It's each and every area is unique and interesting in its own way. Uh, the big problem I had with this game is not the controls of the cockroach itself, which are tank controls, which work completely fine and they're very fluid. But I would the say the nudging your, of objects. The nudging of objects. Yeah. It is horrifically it's really bad. bad. It's and it's frustrating because I would say the majority of the puzzles require nudging of objects. So the problem is the objects. There, there are specific objects in the game world that can be moved by you as a cockroach. The vast majority you can't. You're just a little cockroach. But there are some things like a, there are some cigarettes. There are some bits and pieces that can be a pill. Tiny, tiny things. But a lot of these objects only seem to move along specific unspecified tracks because they don't want you pushing the object into a random direction and getting it stuck, I guess. Yeah. So you get this weird thing where you don't quite know how to orientate yourself in order to get the object to go in the right direction. And if you're like me, sometimes you don't even aren't even aware that an object can be nudged after ramming into it several times because you don't hit it at the exact right angle. Yeah. Which is what happened to me. There's this bit where you have to push a medicine bottle to push a pill out of it. And I tried to do it as like, oh, this must not be the thing I meant to do because nothing's coming out. 
only to look at a walkthrough like an hour later to find out that I hadn't hit the medicine bottle at the exact right angle. That, that, that specific one's the worst instance of that by far, I think. Um, yeah. But like in general, those things, like there'll be like a peanut or like the cigarette or the little lava in the box. And you'll need to spend a while like, because you've got tank controls, you need to like back out turn to the like side to go around in a circle awkwardly turn around to try a different angle if it's not working so it's quite a bit of trial and error like it's not like so bad that i ever stopped playing the game or put it down for a while but it is like quite annoying and definitely the worst part of the game it's weird to me how bad this is like they put it, like I said, the only thing I can think is that they really, really didn't want you just pushing the object off screen and getting it stuck. Which I think is reasonable, right? Um, just make it when you come back to the screen, it resets. Like, that's a more elegant solution. Mm. Also, this game has lives for some reason. I don't, I don't even know why. If yeah. you run out of lives, you just respawn. Uh, I was just using saves, so every time I died, you know, it, it didn't matter. I just reloaded a save, but... I don't really understand what the point of lives in a game like this is. Yeah, I don't know. All um, over I, from early 90s arcade games. Yeah, I guess I kind of like, yeah, I think there should have been like checkpoints or something, maybe. I don't know. Or just no, it doesn't need checkpoints. Just, just loads and saves. And if you die, you just respawn. Like, you just and don't. I died to that cat so many times trying to go down like a ledge. And it just like, eat. man, I watched that animation of the cat eating the cockroach. And every single time I was like, that's so gross. Put that down. Cats love cockroaches. My sister's cat murders them like mad. They're good to have around. Cockroaches? <laughs> cockroaches. Yeah, I love having cockroaches around. Yeah, just like swimming yeah. in a sea of them. Mm. <laughs> But yeah, I think that um, the gameplay here is like is like fine, but it's not really the focus of the experience. You're not playing this game for the gameplay. It doesn't get in the way. Um, and I think that you can count the exploration of the environments as gameplay yeah. uh, and trying to find where to go and what to do. Um, but it's barely a puzzle game. The puzzles are, are very light. Uh, it's probably better because of that. Like I can imagine this game would be frustrating if you were stuck on something for forever. This way you get to kind of like move through the aesthetic visual feast bit by bit. What a feast it is. Um, <laughs> I don't have any other major points, so let's go to the last music break and then we'll wrap up, shall we? Yeah, I don't actually know the name of this track. I was only able to find it in a playlist um, wow. with all of the music. Hey, I did do some do some looking, but it's the bit that plays when you're at the insane man draws. Certified schizo call, let's go. <laughs> oh, damn it, Jack.
Alrighty, that was the track that Patrick was too lazy to look up the name of. Oh, and I was too. <laughs> let's, go, let's go to final impressions, shall we? Pat, how about you start? Um, this game's an easy recommend. It's it's weird because it's not like I love this game to pieces or anything because it is ultimately a very simple game. But what's here from an aesthetic point of view in terms of how it looks, how it feels, is amazing. And the gameplay is such a light touch that it's not enough to detract from it. I do think that the cheesiness and B-rated part of the story did hold this game back from greatness from a point of view. If this game had committed to its griminess and weirdness all the way through, this could have been a horror game on par with some of the greats. Instead, what we got was a different kind of experience that is equal parts grimy and horrific and also camp and hilarious, which I also think is enjoyable in its own right. And I think it's done well here and it's enjoyable for what it is. I just can't help but think of what what once was. My only major gripe with this game really is the way the the objects, the way you interact with a lot of the objects in the world. And that ends up being quite annoying because with the limited control scheme, interacting with the world by bumping into it is a significant part of the gameplay, but it's not enough to hold it back. So I, I would happily recommend this game to anyone who likes unique or um, interesting games. And I'd recommend it to anyone who enjoys your classic adventure games of your, your Monkey Island kind of games for a different kind of take on adventure gaming with an unforgettable look and feel. Yeah, I think this game is absolutely an easy recommend. I think that if you can get past the revolting aesthetics, and I think there's going to be a few people who can't, but I think if you do, then you are not going to find another game like this probably anywhere, and I doubt there's another one like this coming out anytime soon. Uh, Bad Mojo was fantastic. I think the visuals are incredible. They've held up, you know, fantastically. Like, this game looks gorgeous, in some senses of the word. It actually looks truly revolting in most, but uh, that's definitely the point, and it succeeds spectacularly. The 3D navigation in this game is like second to none, um, and the way that the levels are constructed spatially is just really something you have to experience. I think that, you know, the story was very silly and funny. Um, I don't think it's like the main appeal of the game for sure but you know this campy fmv voice acting brought me a lot of laughs throughout the playtime the puzzle solving's a bit lacking the object pushing sucks um the the game's save kind of bugs you out and moves you around the place but other than those like mostly minor gripes this is a really unique four-hour experience that you're just not going to get anywhere else so bad mojo is an easy recommend from me i think does something very well and no other game does it so yeah i'm i'm pretty glad i picked this one in the end um it ended up being better than i expected i thought it might have been a you know horrific it's a bit of a coin flip right like it could have yeah. been terrible from the yeah. reviews but it was really good so. i was really worried about the puzzles being impenetrable but it was <laughs> it was the is the opposite in the end so um so thank you so much for listening to us talk about bad mojo i'm patrick arthur and my co-host is james turlings we are the retrospectors podcast and you can find all of our content on our website which is rspodcast.net recently i've uploaded the entire series to youtube so if you prefer to listen on youtube everything will be there um 
we would i'd like to highlight two things the first is our discord server a discord server is where we do all of our interaction with our community and it's also where we take game recommendations so we would love if you would drop by our discord server join the community throw us a recommend let us know what you think where we're all is and we're always on the hunt for new and well not new old and interesting games and we also have a buy me a coffee page. If you love the show and you'd like to give us some monetary support, we'll pop a link in the show notes. And you can either set up with us with a subscription or if you just want to do a one-off donation, that's okay as well. So with Bad Mojo out of the way, my pick of the past three weeks is completed. What are we playing over the next three weeks, James? Yeah, so let's go to something with a bit more of an approachable aesthetic for the next one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick a game that we have been requested a few times, and I almost picked many, many times before. We're going to go with Advance Wars 1, uh, which is, you know, a turn-based tactics game uh, that's had a remake recently. Um, and I've, you know, been wanting to play this again for a while. I've played it a few times, you know, growing up. Um, and I always kind of liked the, like, approachable aesthetic and, you know, fun tactical gameplay. I suspect this one's probably going to be a bit on the easy side for us these days, but I think the, you know, the core gameplay is going to be pretty solid, and I'm looking forward to playing it again. Have you had any experience with this one, Pat? So I have played a little bit of it because I used to download Game Boy emulators to dabble in these kinds of games, you know, for Pokemon originally. But then I tried the early Final Fantasies and Advance Wars is another one I tried, but I didn't get very far into it. Um, I'd played a lot more Panzer General, to be honest. And Panzer General is a game we did, uh, you know, a, a while ago. That game was released, I think, in 1991. And I think that Advance Wars can very clearly trace its roots to Panzer General. So while I haven't played a whole lot of this game, I have dabbled in the genre a decent amount to the point where I'm I'm pretty sure I know what I'm getting into and I'm not too worried. Um, I don't see the comparison, honestly, other than it's about war and there's tanks, but you know, yeah, we'll what get more into do you that. want? It's the same <laughs> as Red Alert 2. They're uh... all the same game uh advance was much easier to get running than red alert 2 <laughs> that's thankfully. true yeah what isn't <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah i'm keen to give it a proper try from start to finish um yeah the only thing i'm worried about is that i'll breeze through it too easily but you know maybe it'll kick my ass i guess we'll see yeah we'll see all right thanks for listening to the bad mojo guys and we'll see you in three weeks for advance was one catch you then adios everyone